All right, this is the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres, and I'm your host. Our special guest is Kurt Robbins. Kurt is the Director of Course Development for Higher Learning LV in Las Vegas, Nevada. He is a technical writer and an instructional designer who has been developing science-based educational and training content for Fortune 200 enterprise companies for more than 30 years. He has developed more than 130 licensed applications for companies entering the legal cannabis industry. Robbins's clients have included Federal Express, Microsoft, Sun Microsystems, Northrop Grumman, PNC Bank, Strain Print Technologies, the J.M. Smucker Company, and USAA. Robbins began writing about the biochemistry and business of the wellness molecules produced by plants such as cannabis in 2003. He has since developed more than 600 educational articles about hemp and its health components, including terpenes, cannabinoids, flavonoids, and the human endocannabinoid system, ECS. In 2019, Robbins developed a 50-page white paper regarding the hemp cannabinoid cannabigerol, CBG, which is coming up in the news a lot lately, that explored a fourth potential species of the unique plant genus. My career, quote, my career obsession has been to document complex systems and processes in such a way that the information becomes easily understood and as a result produces measurable skills enhancement. My current project, Higher Learning LV, involves development of a rigorous science-based curriculum that teaches the commerce and chemistry of wellness molecules such as cannabinoids, flavonoids, and terpenes to enterprise organizations and industry professionals. So from Las Vegas, Nevada, Kurt, how you doing today? Miguel, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for doing the early time because you're three hours earlier than I am. And man, that's hard on me. So I really appreciate you in the morning time. <laughs> I've got a lot of clients and, and friends and family on the East Coast, and I grew up in Ohio. So so I, I, I would say my my brain is probably still on East Coast time. I saw that you grew up in Ohio. I grew up in Michigan. Cool. And Your football sucks. No, I'm kidding. I don't even do that. I knew right? as soon as I said that, I, I was like, <laughs> oh, it always brings up that whole football thing. I don't even get into it. I just, I you know, I, I look at people's posts and stuff like that because it's entertaining and funny. Right. And, you know, I appreciate the good competition. But having grown up in the Midwest, this is this is not a cannabis or Christianity or worldview question. What do you prefer, man, temperature wise, heat or cold air? Heat, for sure. And and it's not just the heat. It's what I love about the Mojave Desert here is the low humidity. Um, you know, humidity can mess with your joints and just blah, blah. And just I've I've had my dose of humidity. So I'm loving this seven, eight percent humidity here in Vegas. Right on. Right on. Growing up in Michigan, man, I was right in mid Michigan, right where East Lansing, where Michigan State is. It's like the middle of well, not quite the middle, lower middle part of the state. Yeah. And the, the winters were, you know, it was, you know what the winters were like. They're cold and they're kind of long. But the thing that really didn't the thing that I didn't like was just it was overcast all day long, man. It's right. like I'd wake up and see a bit of the sunrise and then I wouldn't see it until the next day. Gray skies, London town, we used to call it. Uh, yeah, Cleveland and, and Northeast Ohio was the same way. Ooh, so that's where you're from, Northeast? Yeah. Okay, right on. Okay, so you're from the Midwest, out West, and you've been doing this for a while. You've been in this business for a while. You've been writing about these things and publishing them since 2003. So you're probably doing it before then. What is it about? Oh, actually, let me ask this question first. 
I kind of went over the mission of learn, higher learning LV, but what inspired you to start it and what is your vision for it? Well, back in the late 90s, I started consuming recreationally. I lived in Washington, D.C. I was newly married, uh, had a beautiful Victorian and a small town and just thought, you know, it's supposed to be better than alcohol. I was still drinking alcohol, but I just added some cannabis to it and uh, loved it. You could get, you know, you could consume a lot and not have a hangover the next day. Uh, and uh, I, I felt healthy. Let's, let's just say I felt healthy uh, and it was good stuff. So I experienced personal efficacy and benefits and none of the drug war hysteria and misinformation of, you know, it's going to melt your brain cells. People like you and I, we get paid to use our brains. Uh, and boy, if it was going to melt any brain cells, I, I would have exited stage left really no fast. No joke. Because <laughs> can't, can't tolerate that. I'm not sure I have enough as it is. So, uh, and then in 2003, I just, I started researching it because, you know, we had the internet and there were databases and articles being published like today. And I was amazed at what I was learning. So I approached magazines like High Times and Cannabis Culture and said, hey, I've learned some really neat stuff about this and I'm a writer. I'd love to write some stuff for you. And Fortunately, they all said, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's do right it. Um, through the process of writing those hundreds of articles and all the research that went into it, I met with a lot of patients and not just folks who are like, oh, I have a little arthritis in my elbow and it, you know, cannabis helps me, but folks with severe uh, chronic progressive MS, for example, stage four cancer, some very serious diseases that put human beings in wheelchairs. And these, this is not scientific research, this is anecdotal information, but they told me their stories and sitting down with them face to face in both Canada and the US, East Coast, West Coast. And I learned that people with MS who couldn't get out of their wheelchair could smoke a joint and then get out of their wheelchair. Uh, and live a functional life and have some quality of life. And that really touched me. I said, this is, this is pretty amazing, right? And then it goes from there. You know, you go down these various rabbit holes and you learn about terpenes and flavonoids and cannabinoids and the human ECS and the fact that uh, all vertebrates have uh, some form of an endocannabinoid system. And so uh, that includes mammals. So our favorite household pets like cats and dogs uh, can gain benefit from these same phytomolecules that we're talking about that are produced by the hemp plant. Right on, man. Right on. So it was the it was just the sheer, sheer impact of how it, you saw people with severe pain benefit from it. And that's a pretty powerful thing that you decided to put your career into that field from that. It basically kind of it basically tells me that you care about people and you care about helping people. Well, you know, a business, the goal of a business is the bottom line. Yeah. But I've always, my philosophy has been, hey, it's great to go make a huge pile of money, right? Go buy yourself a Corvette, take that Hawaiian vacation, just live like a rock star. But how do you achieve that? And I think Precisely. it's in the how, right? Yep. If you do it being a slumlord or, you know, uh, just in some method that a lot of humanity would say is unethical or immoral, that's not a good thing. You're, you're hurting others to get your wealth. But if you can help others, if it can be a win-win, that's, that's a totally different universe. And it's not easy to achieve, but I, I think that's what some of us in the cannabis industry are trying to do. Certainly, we want to succeed, but we would like to do that 
in my case, I want to bring knowledge to, to industry professionals and patients. I want them to understand the stuff they're putting in their body when they say, wow, I feel so much better. This is almost borderline miraculous. Well, it's not a miracle. It's biochemistry. And if we understand that biochemistry, we can dial it in to help patients, lifestyle consumers. We can, we can all understand the potentiality, if you will, of this herb and the, the hundreds, literally thousands of diseases and conditions that it helps. And that is exactly what I'm talking about, man. It's, it's, it's the how, like when you're saying, well, how am I going to do this with this being my passion? And it's cool. I, I like talking with people who are forging a way in a path like what you're doing. You know, you, you, you see something that, that is beneficial to people. You also know you need to make a living. So you combine the two with the intent of doing both instead of one or the other. You know what I mean? And that, right. that's, that's a really cool thing about a lot of the people I'm meeting in this industry is that a lot of them, I mean, so far, I and mean, I haven't talked to everybody. I'm talking to just, you know, only, only got 27 episodes, only 27 talked episodes. to some smart people. I checked out your, your episodes so far and, and you've been tapping into some impressive thought leaders. Oh, cool. Well, thanks, man. So we did, we did cover a lot of ground on, on, uh, on, on uh, higher learning LV in a short amount of time, the mission <laughs> we did, you know, the mission and, and the background and everything. Um, what do you, do you have any plans for the future that you want to talk about some things that you may want to uh, tell folks that are coming out in the near future or for before the new year? Well, reputable sources tell us that we have a little more than 300,000 full-time employees in the cannabis industry. Okay. Um, and I could, you know, I won't waste listeners time doing a philosophical deep dive on what is the cannabis industry because it is very pocketed. It's a mess. Yeah. Okay. It's this pocketed mess where it's legal here and across the border, it's not legal. And that can be a County border, municipal border, a country or state border. You know, it's a, uh, it's a little crazy, but what the industry needs is, okay, let's take sativa versus indica, for example. Okay. I don't know if you've heard that this is kind of controversial among scientists and researchers. Some people saying we need sativa versus indica because consumers and industry professionals need a reference system. They need to be able to categorize different types of cannabis. Other people are saying it's flawed. It's not based on science. It's total crap, and we need to do away with it. I've heard both. Yep. And I'm, so I'm, I'm keeping up with that, with that yeah. dialogue there. So- so what what should we do? What should what should we do with the sativa versus indica conundrum? You know what, man? When I think about it, I understand the need for. I understand the perspective where they're like, "Yeah, sativa and indica. This one's going to be. This one's going to have this effects, and this one's going to have that effects." And then when you blend the two, they're like, "These are a hybrid of the two, or the hybrid of these two two uh, different plants," and it's supposed to generate something like this effect. And I, I have a medical marijuana card in Florida, and that is how they do it at the dispensary that I go to. And I hear, because I, I, I pay attention to, I'm listening to what other people are, are, mm -hmm. are you know, because you're all in that room and it's a dark room. There's no windows because, you know, you can't have any sunlight in the room, right? <laughs> it's like yeah. a strip joint. You know what I mean? They treat that <laughs> thing like a strip joint. And that's what's just kind of like, okay, it's a little strange. But uh, it it is kind of helpful for people who, I've seen, and the only reason why I say this, this is just because this is my observation. I can see people going, okay, that has that end of the pendulum and that has that end of the pendulum. So for sales, I get it. Right. And on this, and on the research side of it, I don't know all about it. I'm reading stuff about it and I go, oh, I see what they're saying there too. 
In fact, there was uh, the latest research specifically about sativa versus indica was released a couple weeks ago, and I, it's a topic near and dear to my heart, and, and it should be for most industry professionals. So I dug into the research, and I was all you know like a kid at Christmas, excited about it, and I actually uh, wrote up uh, an article, like like a research summary. Uh, on the Higher Learning LV website. Um, but the latest research and other research also, because you can't go from just one research study. I'd really like to emphasize that for listeners. It's like one study does not make a science, does not, you know, we need a lot of evidence to tell us about gravity and, you know, physics, right? From many different experts around the world before we said this is the way it is. Um, and a lot of things in cannabis, quite honestly, are theories. It's, you know, it's a law of gravity, right? But it's yeah. the theory of endocannabinoid deficiency. And we need to understand that theories are, are not laws. They, they might be really close, right? It might give us a lot of good information for wellness professionals and patients. But uh, there's, and you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm not trying to turn listeners into scientists or, you know, research mavens necessarily. But I would like listeners take away to be at the end of the day, this is complicated science and it's not necessarily the way we want it to be, but it's the way it is. And this is a lot of complex chemicals, these molecules going into your body. And what really confounds this whole science for everyone, wellness professionals, CEOs, patients, consumers is the fact that efficacy is so subjective. You and I can sit down, let's say you have ailment X, yeah. I have ailment Y, we sit down and we smoke the same joint. It could put you into a panic attack and it could put me asleep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funky like that. But when I think about it like that <clears throat> and the effects on people, that's the same thing with anything we, can, we ingest. Absolutely. And, and that's why, and, and I, I completely hear the argument you're making there where it's like, hey, we, th this is important to get this dialed in as much as possible. What do you, are, are you seeing that going in that direction more so? I'd imagine, yes, but I'm, you're, you're more into this than I am for sure. I like mean, the research side of things. And there, there is a lot of research coming out. There's still a lot of roadblocks, especially here in the United States, but we're starting, just starting this year to get through some of those uh, red tape and legal and administrative roadblocks to where researchers can work with quality medicine. Because here's one of the biggest frustrations. If a study is done with cannabis and it comes from University of Mississippi and it's mostly stems and twigs and it's very low quality let's speak like objective scientists it's very low quality medicine well garbage in garbage out as the tech guys say so no you're not going to cure anybody's cancer or help anybody's arthritis if they're consuming crap uh, so we have to have good medicine. That's one of the very first things. And that is, again, starting to happen. We've got states like California and others who are going a little rogue and challenging the feds. And then we've got all this talk about federal legalization with everybody sitting around going, well, is this even going to be an issue five years from now? So it's complicated. It's complicated on the biochemistry side. It's complicated on the legal side. And it's certainly complicated on the cultural side because, gosh, is it terpenes and flavonoids and guy and, you know, researchers and white lab coats or is it Cheech and Sean? <laughs> I think it's both, man. I think it's both. I think, I think you're both, right. Man, and that's just it. That's what's the crazy thing. How do, how do you talk to that audience, right? How do you train? In my challenge, how do, how do you give skills and knowledge to industry professionals swimming in those waters? And that, and that is, that is 
a tall task that you're taking on because it is a it is a, a very complex time. You you had a post on LinkedIn and I shared it and I made a real simple comment about it. It's just like, yeah, it's like the alcohol was was pro, prohibition of alcohol. It's alcohol had a stigma when it was a prohibition of it uh, ended in the 19th, in the 20th century. Cannabis is doing the same thing, but in the 21st century. And it's pretty simple, but the 21st century is very complex, right? I mean, there's just, you listed this, those, those, those subtopics, equity. I mean, you can call them subtopics, but here's the thing. If we look at, if we look at cannabis as, as like the overarching uh, goal there, all the subtopics underneath it, and then you, you, you plug in technology, artificial intelligence, and all this communication and the ability to do these things with right. with this plant and turn it into turn it into all these different products it is very complex and some of those things even i don't know what some of those things are or how they would affect me when I, at the at the uh, dispensary so i've used edibles flour and vape pens but this rosin and the crumble <laughs> can you help us understand a little bit more about that because um when I, when I see it i've heard it's really like the dabs it's like some people are you know they just don't know what to make out of that right well maybe we should clarify define some terms first sure dabbing yeah. or a dab is when one takes a cannabis concentrate that is much more potent than loosely flour smoking or vaping loosely flour the concentrates are uh, between 50 and 90% roughly uh, THC. So they get hyper potent and you take a small dab of it. That's how it got the name dabbing. And you put it into there are these devices. They look like standard water bongs, but yeah. they're called dab rigs. And uh, either there's one version called an e-nail that you plug in. That's what I have because I prefer to not burn down the house with a torch. Uh, <laughs> torch is kind of 20th century, but oh, is that what you have to of, use? I was at a Halloween party over the weekend and they had a dab station and they were using a torch, not an e-nail. And that's probably much more common than an e-nail. Actually, I'm kind of weird in that respect. But so they'll use a torch to heat either a glass or ceramic or titanium bowl, a dish. And that dish has your dab substance in it. Again, just a little small dollop because it's so darn potent. And then it vaporizes that. So this is not a smoking process. Dabbing is a vaping process. Technically speaking, if we look at the biochemistry, vaping is quite a bit healthier than smoking. So, but dabbing has a lot of stigma attached to it. Youth culture and, you know, you see these videos on YouTube and Twitter of uh, young people blowing huge, uh, you know, exhaling all this vapor into the camera and it's kind of this thing um what we're not really talking about is that dabbing can help patients uh, i have a friend here in vegas she is a pain patient it's very challenging for her uh and when it gets excessive and the potency of loose leaf flour is just not enough for her she will dab and uh, depending on the cultivar strain that she's using, uh, you know, the type of, of stuff that she's using. So you mentioned crumble uh, yeah. and, and some others like that. Those are just different types of concentrates. Okay. There's shatter. Shatter is probably the most, uh, uh, and there's different types, different subsets of shatter. There's the snap shatter and there's softer and harder. So there's some of it's like glass and it just snaps uh and uh but these are and rosin is well we can take 
one thing that people are extremely concerned with health or that want to self-sustain, they can grow their own cannabis and then get something called a rosin press. And a rosin press uses heat and pressure and they can get they're computerized often and so they can apply pressure for different time periods at different temperature levels so this these kids turn it into a science right they're all mad scientists with this stuff so you can even the same exact bud going into a rosin press depending on the settings you yeah. get a slightly different product right so and there are just so many different uh, here in vegas uh i'll be honest i shop the underground and the legal dispensaries i kind of want to get a feel for the entire scene and boy, the variety is amazing. Uh, but when you get good, fresh concentrate and dab it in, you know, the way you're supposed to do it, it uh, brings out the terpenes, which are the aroma molecules and yeah. the flavor molecules. So you get more intense flavor, you get more intense aroma. But again, garbage in, garbage out. So you have to have fresh content to do this. And this is one of the downsides, the potential downsides of legal dispensaries and the whole distribution network, because sometimes you'll get product that's uh, six or eight or even a year old six, eight okay. months or, or a year old. And why is that? Well, it had to go through brokers and distribution and set on warehouses and it sat on, you know, shelves in the back room. Right. Uh, so one challenge for patients and consumers is to get fresh product. And I prefer the freshest I can get because then it's got more terpenes. These terpene molecules are extremely volatile. And uh, that means that environmental conditions, sometimes just mild jostling, right. During shipment really? can, cause these molecules to break down and they're no longer terpenes. They've turned into other things. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that they were that sensitive. So yeah, they're extremely, the, most of the scientists describe them as volatile. And, uh, but I wrote an article once, I forget the exact list, but there's like eight different environmental factors that can cause terpenes to go away. Wow. Huh. I had no idea, but I have been seeing more articles about terpenes driving the cannabis experience for a person. Is that, uh, am, am I, am I, am I, well, I might not be saying it right. I don't know. No, that's a great, that's a great way of saying it back to the sativa indica, this latest yeah. research I was talking about and other research and other thought experts have said, uh, it is terpenes that determine whether it's sativa or indica. So you can have THC at 10%. You can have Delta 9 THC at 92%. I've had 99% THC because it was an, what's called an isolate. So this is a type of concentrate, but it's one where they filter out all the non-THC molecules. So you end up with nothing but THC. It's either a powder or a crystal. Wow. Uh, and so is that going to be sativa or indica? It's kind of neither because I do believe that these terpenes play a major role they might not be a hundred percent of determining whether this cultivar that you smoke or vape or dab or whatever gets you going if you're a pain patient and it's 8 a.m and you need to medicate because you're in extreme pain if if that gives you couch lock and you know you eat half the house from the munchies and then you go to sleep for six hours you might have a life to, you might have kids in a business you can't you can't tolerate that right so yeah. that's why regardless of the naming system consumers do need to know is is this going to rev me up like a couple cups of coffee or is it going to knock me in the dirt and you know snooze time bedtime for bonzo yeah and a lot of that and this is the, this is the thing that this is the thing that organizations and governments can't regulate is what's going on in the person at that time right 
you just can't regulate that. Because I mean, somebody could take something like somebody could have a, I was talking with a guy just the other day and, and um, he's like, yeah, if I have coffee, I'm a raging mess. But mm-hmm. if he has coffee at other certain time, because he has, he's naturally high energy. And then he's like, if I have a coffee other tear, it's not so much. And, and that's the way when I, when I look at this and when I hear the, the when I read the articles and I hear conversations about um, getting the dosage right. So that way people can have a better understanding of what they're going to experience. I think that's definitely what it needs to do. And, and from my experience, I think that's gotten pretty good. I mean, I can, I've, uh, when it comes to the edibles and, and the flour and the vape, yeah, they've, they're pretty good at, at giving you a good idea of what you're going to experience. I think it's what, and I'd like to ask you about this too. This is my thought on it. I think when it comes to getting, I think that can go, you can be too precise. And when doing that, it's almost limiting because when I go to the grocery store and I get food, it's going to tell me how much fat, carbohydrates, protein, etc. you know, vitamin profile sometimes and sodium, et cetera, right? That's all going to be a little bit different by each single fruit, right? And and this is where I'm kind of like, oh man, you know, it's I've, I've heard some people like uh, I heard talked with a doctor, uh, Barbara Mainville. She's like, you know, it's kind of you know, it's it's kind of it's they're trying to dial it in, but it's kind of loose. And I was like, does it seem like it's a good idea that's loose to kind of allow for more innovation, or is it could is it possible that maybe the the dosing and the parameters become too narrow? Does that make sense? Well, yes. I mean, the whole topic of dosing, and then I've interviewed MDs, about, and we've talked specifically about dosing, CBD dosing, THC dosing. We get into biphasic response curves where, um, okay, we talked about this biochemical complexity. Mm-hmm. Take a molecule like Delta-9 THC at a low dose. And we have to be careful because a low dose for you is not necessarily a low dose for me, right? Newbies versus people smoking all day long. Uh, It's very different. But at a low dose, you experience a certain type of efficacy. Now, let's look at one, one item, anxiety. So at a low dose, and this is in most people, right? We're looking at aggregate numbers here. At a low dose, THC Delta 9 lowers anxiety mellow out let's netflix and chill dude right Mm -hmm. at a at a stronger dose and this is what a biphasic response curve is it can actually induce panic attacks and send you to the er wait Mm -hmm. wait we're talking about the same exact molecule so your point of dosing is important is exactly it's important but if we get your point about precision if if you get too precise for one person that's well, that's not necessarily precise. The whole definition of precision, right? It's, yes. It's like, hey, my neighbor smokes this and he loves it and his arthritis pain goes away and I smoke it and I get sick to my stomach and I, and I feel wonked out and I don't like it. So that's, that's the challenge there. That's subjective efficacy. However, the good news is we do see some general trends, right? We know Delta 9 THC, especially in larger quantities, uh, can induce appetite stimulation, the munchies, right? Mm-hmm. We know that isomer molecules Isomers and analogs are how scientists label sibling molecules that are very, very similar, but just slightly different. But that slight difference gives them a different efficacy. So we said Delta 9 THC increases appetite. THC V, the Varin version, 
Okay. okay. Again, it's an yep. isomer that's extremely similar, just a little different. That one decreases appetite. Now we've also got terpenes that decrease appetite like humulene. Okay. So if you formulate a product, this is why we need to understand the biochemistry. If you formulate a product and it's for people with diabetes or obesity or some sort of eating disorder, and you want to decrease their appetite, but you don't want to yeah. use harsh chemicals and go with, you stick a bunch of humulene and THCV in there and, and boy, that'll get it done. That's a very, see, that's, that's, that's amazing because I know more and more people who are coming down with diabetes, whatever, whatever type of diabetes. Oh, it's crazy in this country with all the sugar and I won't go yes. on a sugar rant, but uh, anyway, we have a problem in this nation and the numbers have proved it for proven it for years. And, but we have phytomolecules from the hemp plant that are proven through hundreds of research studies to provide efficacy for that. Do we need more research before we start pumping these molecules into everybody's bodies? Like, you know, they're already pumping sugar and pharmaceutical drugs. Well, I, you can never have too much research. You can never have too much data. So of course, when a conservative politician says we need more research, well, God, it's hard to argue that because yeah, we always need more research. But when they say there's not enough research, that's when I say, uh, call BS because we have thousands I've I've been through I can't tell you how many research studies I've gone through in, in the past almost 20 years trying to you know understand the chemistry and the science of what's going on here analysis or paralysis by analysis is what I called it <laughs> when I was working in the military it's like oh my gosh we're gonna paralyze ourselves from all this um so this is something that <clears throat> as you're talking I was thinking about this because because when you said uh, you were talking about the two neighbors, one person uses it and they have they have great effect. It is, is meeting their needs to improve their quality of life and their health. And the other person says, not so much for me. When I heard you say that, and this is the way I think about it, it's kind of like some people like liquor, some people like beer, some people like wine. They all deliver alcohol at varying levels, even within those different um, categories, right? right? And that's why... That's that's the kind of part that I'm like, I just don't understand why some people and some uh, I shouldn't say people, I shouldn't say I should, I should <laughs> say something like this. I just don't understand how this perspective isn't more broadly uh, advertised because it's kind of like, look, you can get a big uh, apple. What's that? I, I was just going to say, I, I feel for people and there's so much ignorance because we've had almost a century of purposeful misinformation and disinformation. Yeah. So we're talking about people not understanding what's going on here. Right. Yeah. And folks like you and I are trying to clarify that, whether it's our business model or our hobby or our passion, whatever, we're trying to say, this is the reality of this plant when human beings put it into their body. But we're going up against almost a hundred years of BS from various government entities and conservative bodies who just, well, it's a psychoactivity, quite honestly. You know, a lot of conservative people have an issue with psychoactivity. And, uh, and I understand that. But there's also this psychological mechanism when you are completely ignorant of something. Of course, it's a boogeyman because you, you don't know the parameters. You're you're ignorant of it, right? If I had never consumed alcohol and somebody said, oh my gosh, you'll become a raging lunatic from drinking this. Uh, gosh, you know, if enough, enough people tell me that over a long enough period of time, I'm probably going to believe it. And you might even go try it sometimes too, because a lot of people do that too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, forbidden sometimes fruits, you make, right? You make the, that thing taboo and you're, and, and yep. you're, you're actually going to be, there's going to be a percentage of the population that you're going to entice. 
the mechanism of forbidden fruits. And, you know, it's funny you say that because uh, some of the latest metrics and statistics are showing that in states that have legalized, teen use of cannabis is actually lower because they want to break the rules. They want to piss off mom and dad. And uh, when you legalize it, they're like, oh, I well, can't do that anymore. And I've, I think it was, and I can't recall, I think it was, I may be wrong. I thought it was uh, Portugal had done something some time ago with legalizing some drugs. And what it did was, it was actually, the, and we're talking about, I'm not talking about cannabis, we're talking about like harder drugs. And uh, it was a deterrent because the teenagers saw the people on the streets on drugs. And I'm not saying all the people on the streets are on drugs. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying <laughs> that there was, they, they had, you know, when they did that, they did like a, they cordoned off a section that said, okay, this is a safe area. And that way is a little bit more known. And this is the article, and it is a while ago, so I'm probably getting some of it wrong. But the, the point that I'm trying to make is that for the harder drugs, yeah, that stuff's garbage. It's synthetic. It's, you know, there's going to be some weird pharmacopoeia pluses and minuses to it. But when it comes to deterrent of, of things, education at home is, is where it really starts. And when it comes to the plant, it's a plant. And we you we kind of we kind of kind of alluded to it in a couple of our comments that we made but i uh i'm a christian and i do believe in creationism and i do believe that that plant was created by our maker and that's the part that kind of trips me up about a lot of um the conservative denominations that don't look at that side of the story they they look at the fearful side of the psychoactivity that you were speaking to and the misinformation and the propaganda mm -hmm. and they just x right over it it's done right i i would you know those who believe the hysteria that this is a bad plant and that it has bad chemicals in it uh you know and that it'll kill your brain cells or or turn you mm -hmm. to a life of debauchery and hedonism and just take you down the wrong path right uh i would say let's look toward the science and again back to this complexity you uh analogized alcohol a few minutes ago and well here's here's the real kicker alcohol ethanol it's a single molecule right so we're talking about a universe of a single molecule there whether it's government regulation taxation is it healthy for you is it moral however we analyze that it's a single molecule let's let's dig some numbers here for cannabis okay 150 cannabinoids 20 flavonoids 200 terpenes what's that add up to and that's not even the whole stew would you say one a hundred was it 50 50 cannabinoids yeah 200 terpenes 20 flavonoids how many flavonoids about 20. okay so 270 right yeah there you go uh a lot of researchers have told us that there are more than 400 i've seen more than 400 molecules in this herb more than 450 what's accurate it depends on how you slice the pie right but here's here's the listener takeaway there are hundreds hundreds of molecules in this plant and we have learned earlier in this podcast that some of them have polar opposite efficacy so one will increase your appetite that may be good 
Hey, if you're a cancer patient going through chemo and you're wasting away because you can't eat, you want an appetite. It saves your life. But if you're suffering from type two diabetes and obesity and these other eating disorders, you want the exact opposite. And if we don't understand these molecules, these more than 250 or more than 450 or whatever the heck the number is, right? I think that's really not the point. The point is this is complex, but if we just grab onto the complexity and put a little intelligence into this, we're humans. We build stuff. We go to the moon. We go to Mars. We do shit like this. Okay. We're good at it. Okay. Yeah. Take a look at those molecules. How can we help these sick people? And I would tell the conservatives, go, go find, they're all over the place. Go find somebody with stage four cancer. Go find somebody with chronic progressive MS who uses cannabis and sit down with them for a couple hours and talk to them and, and watch, watch them consume, you know, have coffee with them in the morning when, when things are rough and they've got to medicate for an hour or two just to right side themselves and be able to conduct their day. It is interesting. It is interesting. That's, that's one thing that I find um, strange about some of these denominations is that creation if they believe in creationism well then that includes this plant and everything that's organic and material in it and it's it's just it's an interesting conversation so i think this might be the right time to transition to the second half of the of the of the questions and and that is around belief systems growing up in ohio did you grow up in a family or a home that that uh at taught you a belief system or a faith or, or a philosophy really. or religion? Quite honestly, um, very much a patriarch family. And uh, d- dad was kind of agnostic. I actually asked him once as a teenager, I was like, you know, what's your religious belief? And he said, I'm pretty much agnostic. Um, he's gone now. I, I think he was a hedonist, really. He should have just declared the religion of hedonism. <laughs> you know, rat pack culture and all that, right? Let's go party in Vegas in a convertible with a cigar and just on and on. Right. Um, what I'd like, and I'm not trying to change the subject here, no, 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 stay on it, but what I love about cannabis is if you go with creationism, the science of cannabis is still great and it helps sick people and it's still what it is. Right. If you go with evolution and a completely atheistic perspective, the science is the same. Take a yep. look here. So, so I love that I can communicate with everyone. Uh, and I actually, on my social media, have a policy of, I don't discuss politics or religion because it divides my audience. I want to educate Jews, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, secular humanists. I want to educate them all. I want them to have that tool so they can successfully run their businesses so they can achieve that win-win of helping both consumers and themselves. Completely understand that. I completely understand that. I don't like talking about politics on the podcast either because there's enough people doing it already. And, and by the time I'm done listening to that stuff, it's like, <laughs> what am I besides irritated, maybe a little angry and, and probably just saddened that this is overwhelmingly coming into the ears and eyes of too many people. So do you want to, do you want to, uh, now this is, then when it comes to religion. I'm happy like to, that. yeah, I don't want to evade any of your questions. I'm happy to answer that. I mean, you have the word Christianity and there are three <laughs> words in your podcast name. One of them is Christianity. So if I'm unprepared for that, I'm kind of an amateur, right? Yeah, you're good, man. You're good. I, th- I, I just want to make sure that's all because. Um, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, the way I see it is like, when we're talking, I like to know what people believe because it's like, hey, this person believes this, this person believes that. It doesn't mean you hate them. You just believe differently about this life 
and what happens after it. That's it. And here's the thing. I think a lot of people are very fearful of that because they don't know and they're still trying to figure things out in their life. Mm-hmm. And they either want to go looking for it. They're either seeking, they're either seekers or they, they, uh, they push it down. They, they kind of keep pushing it down and not addressing it except for when maybe something manifests itself in their life and they go, okay, is this, this thing speaking to me or, or coming, you know, presenting right. itself in my life again, once more because of X, Y, or Z. And, and it's an interesting thing because coming out of this pandemic, I know two people who committed suicide within the first mm. I think eight months. And uh, a lot of people did die. And a lot of people continue to die every day with or without the pandemic. And that is an astute observation, I think. I know, man. (laughs) But but it is kind of like it's it's something that I don't think we talk enough about when it comes to what we believe about our about this life and the life after it. So you didn't grow up with much. You didn't grow up with much. now, I, I was Mount Vernon, Ohio, central Ohio, okay. surrounded by cornfields. Uh, it was very much Christian. I didn't even know what Judaism was until I went to college. I'm embarrassed okay. to say it was that it was very Christian. There were Nazarene churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches and Methodist churches all over town. So I grew up in a Christian community, even though my household wasn't. And, you know, you get curious about stuff. So I read, you know, the Bible and uh, I've. Oh, I've attended church more times than I can remember as a child and a teenager growing up in Ohio. Right on. So how do you, do you want to talk about how you view the world now? I, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Well, when I went to college, uh, it just so happened that the majority of my friends, especially my freshman year, which is a really kind of you know, your life changes your freshman year. At least it it did for me. (laughs) And uh, like three out of four of my friends were Jewish. Uh, And like I said, I grew up in a a very Christian community where it turns out there was a small synagogue in Mount Vernon, Ohio, but nobody knew it was there. Uh, Literally. I mean, it was just, it was not a culture that was represented like, like many others. Uh, and so I learned a lot about Judaism from my friends and they would invite me to, uh, celebrations and holidays at their homes. And it was, it was really nice. And so I, I saw, you know, but Judaism and Christianity have a lot in common, right? Uh, a, a lot of, uh, common roots. Well, it just so happens that a lot of Jewish people are agnostic or atheist or this category that is, I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for that. I know. No, you, but, you're, uh, right. you're, you're right. There's, well, uh, there, there's, I don't know the exact percent, but yeah, there, of course. Well, my, it turned out my Jewish friends didn't practice Judaism. Uh, most of them were like either atheist or secular humanist. And so I got turned down turned on by secular humanism as a freshman in college. And so I read about it and I learned and I just was really eager to get more. And unfortunately it gets the bad rap as being a more a scientific version of atheism. And that's not what it is. True secular humanism says we don't know. So is it all creationism? A true secular humanist says it damn well could be. We don't have enough data. We don't know enough. And as a race, we think we're so advanced, right? Shit, we went to the moon 40-something years ago, right? We're geniuses, mm-hmm. right? We have these big egos as, as you know, a species. And uh, come on, what do you think we're going to learn in the next 100 years that we don't know right now? 
holy crap, right? It's going to be huge. It's just going to be huge. What insight will that give us? It could give us insight that, that supports creationism. It could give us insight that supports evolution. It could go a lot of directions. I would argue we don't have enough data. Okay. Right on. Right on. Well, you're definitely seeking it. That's for sure. That is <laughs> you can't sure. have enough education, right? You just... And, you know, that's what's, that's the thing about cannabis is that it, it kind of helps you think in some of those directions. It, it opens mm -hmm. you up to, to thinking a little bit more macro, a bit more macro instead of, mm -hmm. you know, where you're, you're thinking on a, a, a larger scale. And it's kind of like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And those experiences are going to be personal for everybody. And that's, and this is, this is where it kind of comes to the, uh, this is why I'm like, wow, you know, these this is a live plant going into a live human The interaction is going to be dynamic. And I understand completely the idea of, of trying to give people as precise of a definition of what they're going to experience as possible. But, and that's why I'm glad to hear this. So, you know, that's, that's impossible, but and that's where hopefully the regulations at the state and federal levels, when the federal does go, they don't narrow it down too much. I know here in Florida, a proposal was made to, uh, to cap THC and, it was, uh, it was struck down. Yeah. It's like that kind of stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like, that's like saying, and they, 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 of course yep. used alcohol, right? It's like, well, they made governments made moonshine and white lightning illegal because the alcohol content was too high. Well, now you can buy that stuff in the store too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You can send your eight-year-old to buy it and half the time they can walk out with it. <laughs> uh, and I'm not anti-alcohol. Um, you know, I, I think you bring up a, a lot of good points. If you take someone who is predisposed to anxiety or depression or other things and they consume some cannabis in whatever form and it helps mitigate that condition. Yeah. Well, life looks different depressed versus not depressed. Life looks different anxiety stricken versus low or no anxiety, right? Yeah. And my theory is that to have a clear view of the world, and to try to, you know, make rational decisions based on quote unquote reality, whatever the heck that is, <laughs> that you can't, it, it really, it doesn't behoove us to, if you're weighed down by depression or anxiety or, or, or other distractions, if you will, you don't get that clear view of the world. And we've all suffered anxiety. We've all been depressed at one point in our life. You know, life is full of ups and downs. Uh, and yeah, we have this natural herb. And again, regardless of your perspective, God gave us this herb, nature gave us this herb. You know, it, the herb is good right it's there it's, whatever, that's, whatever. that's how i look at yeah, yeah. It's, regardless it's of what you good. believe it's there regardless of the background yeah we got a, all these research studies showing hey thcv is good for people with obesity and type 2 well let's give them some more thcv oh well we can't because it's illegal so we're it's like as a as a species globally we are working through this the mess and the muck of legalization and we see how you know, there's a hundred thousand podcasts out there talking about how messy the whole thing is. Uh, eventually we'll get it legalized, right? Yeah. Maybe then we'll start focusing on the science and saying, Hey, we got all these sick or, you know, miserable people around here, the phytomolecules in this herb, we got some research that says it helps them. You know, how, how do we give safe access, safe, affordable, convenient access to those consumers, whether they're patients or lifestyle consumers? I think the work you're doing is really important because the education is, is critical. It's critical. It, it changes people's minds. And I, I know there's some people getting 
their curriculums into universities and stuff like that. Have you thought about doing anything like that, or are you are you focused on on uh, organizations and individuals? Well, higher learning LV is you know you're you're always kind of tightening the sails on your ship. So uh, it is a brand that is going to focus on transitional professionals and small businesses. Okay. Like we call mom and pops, right? Whether they have two employees or 20 employees, Higher Learning LV will conserve their staffing, you know, educational needs, their training needs. Um, I'm in the process of forming another brand that will focus on enterprise organizations. Okay. We mentioned earlier, there's about 320,000 people in the cannabis industry that's expected to double and then triple and all within the next few years, right? It's all going to happen very, very quickly with all these new states coming online. If we do truly get federal and then the entire nation, you know, 340 million of us or bam, we've got some form of legalization. It allows all these businesses to come into it. I've done a lot of training for Fortune 200 where they had thousands, you know, you're like Microsoft, you got 95,000 employees, you know, a 10th of a million employees, you got to train all those people. And some of them, you have to repeatedly train them like every year they've got it. And then all oh, a new programming language came out a new technology. It's like, you're just they're constantly in, in training, right? Well, yeah. as these enterprise organizations emerge in the cannabis and hemp spaces, uh-huh. they have the exact same needs. And I just feel very blessed that I get to leverage what I've been doing for more than 30 years with large enterprise organizations who are very demanding, quite honest. They taught me how to deliver and how to do it well because they would have kicked me out and not paid me and my family would have starved to death if I hadn't done that. You know, enterprises are very difficult to please as they should be because they pay very well sometimes. And they're like, if you want this pile of money, you know, you're gonna have to jump through some hoops. You gotta show us you're one of the smart kids on the playground. And uh, they're very kind of strict about it from my experience. So I'm, I feel very blessed that I learned how to do instructional design under pressure. I learned how to deliver seminars, classes, courses, you know, to develop and deliver instructional design that actually got the job done and helped those employees, right? And therefore helped the organization overall. Well, the needs of enterprise organizations like that for skills and enhancement and training are very different than individual transitional professionals, who we know are migrating in droves into the cannabis industry, right? Uh, And those small mom and pops, you know, if you've got seven truly even Florida, you're in Florida, they've got 7,000 employees now. Can you believe that? Right? That's very different than a company with 70. Yeah, you're right. I keep getting emails where they're opening up new stores. It almost seems weekly. It almost seems weekly where they've either opened a new store or they've acquired a brand and and they're converting those stores into their stores. It is growing rapidly. You're right in the state of Florida, right. for sure. So the needs of those large organizations are very different than transitional professionals and small business. And so that's why I made the hard decision because a lot of effort goes into creating a brand. And I was like, you know, I have to create another brand specifically for enterprises. It's got totally different fee structure. Just everything is different because the needs and the pain points of those enterprise organizations are so unique. That's cool, man. I think you got, I think that's great. I think that's great. I think you got a good market. Man. I just gave away my entire business plan. So when it goes belly up, I'm going to blame you. Oh man. I'm, I'm sorry. Kidding. No, I'm kidding. No, but it's, but here's the thing. They can't be you. Right. And that's the thing about it. It's like ideas. Some people can have the same idea. Yeah. If the, the person carrying it out, you know, that person may not have the success with that idea. And that's, 
and that's what's interesting about this life and that's why i kind of like that's why i look at it with cannabis it's like it's not i don't look at it as a as a uh, as a cure-all you know it's not a silver bullet but it certainly has major complementary attributes for the human body right and i'm and glad you brought that up i've listened to some of your past podcasts and you you know, you had smart guests who touched on the fact and said, this is not a panacea. And that is, yeah, if, if your listeners walk away with anything from this podcast, please remember it's, it's not a panacea. There's no guarantees here, but it is darn well worth an experiment if you're sick and suffering. Exactly. And, and that is, that is it. Turning the stigma around to make it a positive one. And, uh, and I think you're doing a pretty cool thing with it, man. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. You know, it's uh, everybody talks about all the opportunity in the cannabis industry, right? They're like, oh, the streets are paved with gold, blah, blah. Regardless how you interpret that opportunity. Yes. And that is totally true. There are tremendous volumes of opportunity in the cannabis industry. But you know what else comes with that? It's a double-edged sword. Massive competition. Yeah. Look at Oklahoma right now. They have over 13 in a, in a state of only 4 million residents. They have more than 13,000 companies licensed with the state, either cultivating or doing manufacturing and processing or doing retail dispensing. Wow. 13,000. Okay. Think about that competition level. How do you get your brand identity heard by the market how how do you you know it's like horton hears a who right they're all screaming on this yeah. little dust ball and and you can't hear anything through the cacophony uh yeah so i think everyone in this equation everyone in this culture slash industry slash whatever okay needs to realize that with this tremendous opportunity we're seeing in these different markets that's all messed up right now until we get federal is tremendous competition so in other words you've got to have you, you got to bring your a game or I, I didn't make these rules i don't want to live in a shark infested world but if you do not bring your a game consistently you are going to fail you, as a business you're, you're just you're going to go down 90 percent are going to fail 10 percent roughly are going to make it and we're talking about are you talking about uh businesses that that grow the plant or ancillary businesses or both? everything all of everything them. All segments. Okay. All spaces. All niches. Yeah. Why? Because it's hyper competitive. And the higher the competition level, the greater the fallout. So, and this is just like we saw during the dot com. You know, yeah. hey, where's real audio? They own the world in 98. Where, where are these companies, right? Well, they might have achieved their end game and sold to a bigger company and cashed out and said, yay, we achieved our goal, right? And that's a wonderful thing in the business world. But if you die on the vine, you know, nobody wants to see that. Right. And that's why I'm saying, I don't want to see people die on the vine, get educated, bring your a game and do it every single day, or you will get crushed. And then that's the thing that I'm talking about, Kurt, is that there's something about you that that's like, you know what? I want to see people succeed. I want to succeed myself, but I also want to help other people succeed. And that's, that's the, <clears throat> that's almost kind of antithesis to competition in a certain mm -hmm. way, you know what I mean? Right. And, that, and that's what makes it really cool to see a bunch, to meet and talk with a bunch of people working in this industry that all of them, like all the people I've talked to that work in the industry so far. And like I said, I don't have hundreds of episodes and not anywhere near that. But my point is, is that they all want to help people. They all, they all want to make a living doing this, but they all want to do it helping people. Just like you talked about at the beginning, where it's like, 
you can do something you can be a slumlord and and cause make money making people miserable and giving them poor conditions right. to, or you can do it to some with something that's been that could be beneficial to them and then when they they find that it's beneficial to them it's kind of like thank you 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 completed a mission you know what i mean it's like it's a humanitarian mission is the way i look at it right right and it's uh yeah you know everybody's kind of got their own compass and and like they got to sleep at night uh, so if if you're racked with guilt because of the way you do business or you know gosh we're saying cbd can cure covid is should we be telling people that you know but hey it put a million bucks in our pocket in two months alone so let's keep telling them that right yeah i, yeah, I mean i want to make money too you know i want to see businesses succeed but and this gets into an area for the industry of best practices and standard operating procedures sops and all this kind of business lingo but it's really really important because large enterprise organizations like we're talking about TrueLeaf, seven thousand employees they're very difficult to run as you as all of us can imagine right that's some complicated stuff so you have to have best practices and standard operating procedures and what's going on right now since they don't really exist at the industry level is a lot of companies are just like, hey, we got money, we got smart people, we're going to invent our own. And we see a lot of organizations inventing their own right now because it's their only option. You know, what's funny is, is uh, <clears throat> and, and I see what you're saying completely. And, uh, you know, when you said you're these companies building like their their own uh, standard operating procedures and SOPs and, and uh, how they're going to have the policies for their company, whether it's HR policies or just operational policies. The funny, and this is, I thought about this because I was like, oh my gosh, in 2010, there was the, the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, right? Remember that in the Gulf? Yeah. And uh, yeah. when that was happening, all these different companies that had been, like these emergency response companies had been contracted by different uh, businesses and local governments, state governments, federal government agencies, all this stuff. They all wanted to have their own, they, they like on the, the, the pictorials, the the diagrams they all want to have their own logo on all of them and you had all these all these different companies competing and with that you have these decision makers saying which one do we go with right it's like which one do we pick to be the standard and uh <clears throat> oh yeah it's very contentious and uh because I, I i think you bring up an excellent point you know i'm sitting here saying oh the industry needs more standards and you know best practices and it sounds so easy right but who's these these guys over here want to go with standard x these folks over here standard y they're very different uh <laughs> exactly right and that's and and that's a part that's why that's that i i, I keep going back to it just because it's kind of like wow I, I think it's it's weird being kind of like that. The industry seems to, I've heard people described as the Wild West kind of when it first started. Very much, yeah. And and I understand the need for regulations. And I, and I also have shown the need or the, 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 uh, the abuses that can come from over-regulation, right? And that's what I think is really cool about this time and this time that we're alive right now is where we get to live in this, man. And we get to, we get to, we get to experience I, this. 
I love optimism and I, I get just, you know, I see these, uh, sometimes I call them sad sacks, these pessimists, they're all over social media, right? And uh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And I'm like, look, if you're giving me real metrics and real statistics and they show the sky is falling, okay, well, we need to deal with that, right? But to just go around, you know, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. Uh, no, I'd rather take an optimistic approach here. I think the good news is we have what has proven through thousands of research studies to be an efficacious plant. And not always, but often, and I, I use that word carefully, often it is of really significant help to people. Sometimes almost at that, and I we should not use the word miraculous, right? But when someone who can't get out of a wheelchair gets out of a wheelchair and they start shaking hands and walking around the room and everything, that that gets into that zone of wow, that's inspiring. that's a big deal. That's a big that is deal. a very big deal, especially if you're the one in that wheelchair. Exactly, and you can all of a sudden move, and you're no longer sedentary. What if it's your wife? What if it's your exactly, child? Yeah. There's, I mean, I don't have any tighter bond in the world than with my children, right? I, we do, we all good parents would do anything for their kids. If your kid's suffering in a in a wheelchair or from just pain or whatever it is, any type of suffering, you know, you will do anything you can. I, I actually kind of like that mechanism in that it'll take parents who otherwise would not consider cannabis medicine, they become desperate because they've tried so many different pharmaceutical therapies and such. And just out of complete desperation, they say, look, we don't like this marijuana thing, but we really love our children. And, you know, let's try something out here. I've seen like lumberjacks crying, describing the efficacy that an autistic nephew gained from a cannabis or CBD tincture. And that, and I get what you're saying. It's like when you, you're saying is these are anecdotal stories sometimes, but here's the thing, man, they do matter. They well, there's do. value in anecdotal. We just have to realize yeah, sure it's it not is. a scientific research study. They're two different categories. It doesn't yeah. mean anecdotal has no value. It's just a different type of data. Exactly. And, and I think that's an important point that you made right there, man. And that's cool. Well, all right, Kurt. Is there anything else you want to share with us uh, and the listeners about uh, Higher Learning LV or anything uh, or anything else that you want to talk to us about? I just appreciate you having me on, Miguel. And uh, Florida is one of the states I'm uh, interested in doing business in. I think it's a really exciting market for a variety of reasons, just like I'm excited about Oklahoma and some of the other smaller emerging markets. Uh, I don't really go... I've done a lot of business in California and Oregon and Washington and Colorado, but I don't really go chasing those markets. I'm excited about what you've got going on there in Florida. Well, I'm going to be doing more stuff with people in Florida as we live for longer. We've only been here. We got here. The, we moved back. We, uh, so we, we came to Florida in 2000, actually, uh, 2000, I was here 2002 to 2004 in Key West. Then came back. My wife and I were married. We lived here from 2007 to 2010 in the exact home we're living in now. And at that time, I almost hopped out of the military. I decided to stay in. Things I won't tell that story right now. But 11 years later, we wanted to come back to this place. So we finally moved back into it. We've been in here for maybe, let's see, June, July, August, September, October, five months. And uh, 
I've been uh, connecting with a lot of people in Florida, man. So if you ever do anything in Florida, reach out to me. I would, I would love to help you out in any way, man. Well, thanks, man. I'm sure I'll get down there eventually, but uh, we do kind of, and the pandemic proved this to us, look what we're doing right here, right? We live in kind of a Zoom, YouTube video conferencing world where it's really changing things. So I love the connections that I'm able to make just uh, with a simple Zoom call like this. It's cool, man. It's very cool. Well, thank you very much, Kurt Robbins, Higher Learning LV out of Las Vegas, Nevada. This is the Conversation Cannabis Christianity Podcast. My name is Miguel Torres. And again, our special guest, Kurt Robbins from Higher Living LV. Thank you all very much. Love you. We'll see you next time.